you have your Bible, please open it to uh, Matthew chapter 5. We will be looking at verses uh, 3 through 12 today. Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 12. In his book, The Jesus Way, uh, the late Eugene Peterson writes, the, the North American church at present is, is noticeable for replacing the Jesus way with the American way. The North American church at present is noticeable for replacing the Jesus way with the American way. The, the way of Jesus is the only way. It's the only way to God, the only way to salvation. Jesus is the way to forgiveness and the way to freedom. And Jesus is, is the way of suffering as well. He is the way of the kingdom. He's the way to hope, to love, to peace, to justice, and reconciliation. And, and this Jesus is extending his, his hands out to you. Will you grab those hands in faith? And if you already have a hold of his hands, rest in the grip rest. Last Sunday, we returned to the sermon series on the way from the Gospel of Matthew. And in that sermon, I talked about the big picture of the Sermon on the Mount. And it's important to understand the big picture of that sermon before you take a journey to understand all the different sections of that sermon. Because we can't isolate Matthew 5 through 7 from their big picture, from their context. Because the big picture, it helps you navigate the weeds and the details of that sermon properly. So do you remember the big picture? It's what I call COW, C-O-W, and it's an acronym for Convictions of the Way. Convictions of the Way. And if you missed last week's sermon, I encourage you to go to the church's website to listen to that sermon because it sets the stage for where I'm going to be going in, in this sermon series here as we go through the Sermon on the Mount. And again, the stage is convictions of the way. And these convictions are the way of Jesus. They're not the American way. Please know that. And in these convictions, they're for all believers, regardless of ethnicity, nationality, gender, age, or economic status. These convictions begin in Matthew 5, verses 3 through 12. And these verses are known as the Beatitudes, the Beatitudes of the way. And we're going to talk about these Beatitudes collectively. So listen, here's God's word. Follow me here in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 3. And this is God's word, not the word of this church, not the word of Alex. This is God's word. So if it offends you, Take it up with him. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and, and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and other all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecute the prophets who were before you. This is God's holy, inerrant word. Please pray with and for me. Holy Spirit, as we come to this time, we need you. As the third person within the Godhead, we need you to be the helper that you are. That we cannot understand truth, God's truth, apart from you. I don't care how many books we read or how many degrees we have or if we went to seminary or if we go to this conference and and that conference. If you ain't giving us understanding, then we ain't understanding at all. It goes in one ear out the other. So Holy Spirit, forgive us for the ways in which we take you for granted. Forgive us for the ways in which we trust our own intellect and not you. Forgive us for the ways in which we we try to clench you and your power in our life. So give us humility today to say there are certain things I just don't know. There are certain things I just don't understand. And I truly do need the Holy Spirit power in my life. So Holy Spirit, be our helper. Be our counselor. Be the one who, who leads us in all truth. And I pray for this. In Christ's name and for his glory. Amen. One of the most uh, well-known prayers in American Christianity is the serenity prayer. You know, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. The Beatitudes in Matthew 5 are on the same level as that prayer. They're well-known. I'm pretty sure you don't hear many, many sermons on the Beatitudes if you are a Christian. You've been a Christian for a long time. Many sermons. There are many books. There are many Bible studies written on these words of Christ. But what do these nine Beatitudes mean? What is Jesus talking about in these 12 verses? There are two common views about the Beatitudes of the way held by Christian scholars and Christians themselves. The first view is that they, these Beatitudes are about a great reversal of fortune that would happen when Christ returns in his second coming. These Beatitudes are something that, that we are waiting to experience as Christians in the second coming of Christ. And these scholars connect these Beatitudes to Isaiah 61, which talks about the year of the Lord's favor. The second common view is that these Beatitudes deal with wisdom, virtue, and ethics. They, they tell you about the way of God's kingdom. So those are the two most common views. But yet there's a third view that I want to present today about the Beatitudes. And this third view is connected to this Greek word makarios. Because each Beatitude in these 12 verses begin with this Greek term. And it's translated blessed in these verses. This is a blissfulness, a fortunateness or a happiness and happiness is something that we all can relate to it is really the golden calf of all christian or human pursuits because we all want to be happy right it's the one emoji that we love to share on our social media outlets the happiness one and the happiness is really the reason why we do what we do it's the reason why you go to work if you're honest Right? It's the reason why you go to work. Because you want to be happy. 
You're not really going there all the time, but whoa, I love my job. It's the reason why we accumulate material possessions. It's the reason why many of you young people going to go to college. Because you really want to have a happy life. I want to be happy, Pastor. I want my kids to be happy. I want my parents, my spouse, and my siblings, and my friends to just be happy. And the pursuit of happiness is something that all human beings share. We all share this common desire to be happy. Now, the pursuits, they will look different. They will be diverse. But the force that drives them is is all the same. Happiness. So what is this happiness that's being communicated in these verses? Because the term here can be translated happy. What's the blissfulness? What is the fortunateness? What is really the good life that's being communicated in these verses? In an interview during his battle with cancer, Christian theologian and philosopher Francis Schaeffer says, the only way to be foolishly happy in this world is to be young enough, well enough, and have money enough, and not to care about other people. The only way to be foolishly happy in this world is to be young enough, well enough and have money enough and not care about other people. But as soon as you don't have any of those first three, or if you have compassion on the weeping world around you, then it's impossible to have the foolish kind of happiness that I believe some Christians present as Christianity. This foolish kind of happiness isn't what the Beatitudes are about. It's not a conviction of the way. This term, Mercuriosis, isn't dealing with foolish happiness. It's not the American dream. It's not the American way. This term communicates a state of happiness, a state of blissfulness, a state of being fortunate. It talks about a way of being in the world. It's a way to be in the world. I'm drawing my conclusions from this term from another Greek uh, Christian theologian named Jonathan Pennington. And he believes these Beatitudes and even the whole Sermon on the Mount is about the state of human flourishing. What does it mean to really flourish as humanity? According to him, each Beatitude is is a declared observation about the way to be in the world. And he translates this term Flourishing instead of blessed. Flourishing are the poor in spirit. Flourishing are the mourners. Flourishing are the humble. Flourishing are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Flourishing are the merciful. Flourishing are the pure at heart. Flourishing are the peacemakers. Flourishing are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Flourishing are those who are persecuted for Christ. Human flourishing is a conviction of the way. And that is what Jesus is talking about in these 12 verses. Flourishing is the way Christians are to be in the world in which we live. But what does human flourishing mean for Christians? Look at Jesus' life. His perfect life. His life is a picture of what it means to live a flourishing lifestyle. The incarnate Jesus Christ is a measure of flourishing. But do you believe it? But do you believe it? I Ching Thomas, 
says, as we examine what the gospel is truly about, we see it is about human flourishing. The good news is that God sent his own son to restore shalom that has been disrupted by sin. While it's easy to, to assume that shalom equals peace and harmony, biblical shalom encompasses much more than that. Shalom expressed in scripture incorporates not just peace, but universal flourishing and wholeness and delight, the way things ought to be. I hope you know the world was not created to be what it is. When you read Genesis 1 and 2, the world was not created to be this. It was created to be much more. He goes on to say, it is, it is the rich state of affairs where there is contentment, where humanity fulfills its vocation, and where humanity is in perfect fellowship with its creator and savior. Flourishing is connected to the holistic shalom that Christ has come to restore. And please understand that the work of redemption is not just about personal salvation, which we as evangelical Christians have made it. That Jesus didn't come for our individual salvation, just so we can get saved and go to heaven. It's for the restoration of all things. He's making all things new, not just me and you, all things, because the fall doesn't impact our relationship with God. The fall impacted all the creation, all the creation. And Christ has come to redeem all the creation, not just parts of it. He's redeeming all things. He's restoring shalom to every inch of creation. And true human flourishing begins when a person comes to saving faith in Jesus Christ. You can only be enjoyed and experienced through communion with him, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. So are you standing before God the Father, redeemed by the blood of his Son? Are you standing before him on that? If not, then you would never ever experience the flourishing the way that Jesus understands it. You may experience it according to the world, but you never really experience it according to his way. Again, his hands are extending out to you. Extending out to you. Take hold of them in faith. Acknowledge him as your savior. Acknowledge to him that your sin has separated you from God. And then repent of that sin and then confess Jesus as both Lord and Savior. And he wants you to do that. That's why his hands are extending out to you. That's why Christ came, to give you a hand up. And his hand is there. All you got to do is take it. If you don't know him, will you take it? Now, if you do know him, if you're already holding on to his hand and he's holding on to your hand and you have faith in Jesus, then these verses, these Beatitudes are a reminder to you that you can flourish in this life despite your circumstances. Yep, yep, yep. If you are a Christian, if you already have saving faith in Jesus, if you're already holding his hand in faith, then these Beatitudes are a reminder to you that you can live a flourishing lifestyle despite your circumstances. And that is an amen statement. Because your circumstances don't dictate your joy. They don't. 
Despite suffering, despite setbacks, you can flourish. Despite the Lord's correction, you can flourish. Despite persecution and death and, and sickness and failures and, and government shutdowns and injustice and, and layoffs and living paycheck to paycheck, you can still flourish. And even despite unjust laws, we can still flourish Jesus' way. But do you believe it? That's the question. Do you believe it? Who are you really living for? Whose way are you living for? Jesus' way? The American way? Your way? Whose way? Who's really speaking truth into your life? In the movie Black Panther, um, Prince T'Challa had to engage in ritual combat before he could be crowned king of, of Wakanda. And he was challenged by Mubaku for the throne. And the battle wasn't going well for the prince in the beginning. Everyone was concerned, and, and especially the queen mother. And when all looked bad, when T'Challa was in this tight bear hug, the queen mother yelled these words at her son, show them who you are. Show them who you are. And that's what Christians in America need to the same words. We need to hear the same words. Show this country who you are. Many Christians engage life with a low IQ of who they are in Jesus. I call them low information believers. Because they read scripture with this low IQ. They approach the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount with this low IQ. That's why some of you turn to legalism, using God's law to favor, because you don't know who you are in Jesus. That's why some of you turn to antinomianism, throwing God's law in the trash can, because you don't know who you are in Jesus. And that's why some of you see a conflict between God's law and God's grace, because you don't know who you are in Jesus. Do you know who you are in Jesus? Do you know that? And do you live that way? My birthday was on on Thursday, turned 42. Thank you for all the birthday wishes. My family did a wonderful job celebrating me. It was a wonderful day, best birthday ever. But there was one sad moment, and I didn't get my son permission for this, so please forgive me in advance. While we were driving home, my son said, Dad, I ruined your birthday. I ruined your birthday. He was sad about that. I was sad because he felt that way. And I told him, son, you didn't ruin my birthday. You did not mess up my day. And later that night, I asked him, I said, why, why do you feel that you ruined my day? He said, because you kept getting on to me. And I said to him, son, just because I corrected you doesn't mean you ruined my day. Doesn't mean I don't love you or like you. As believers, we often feel the same way towards God when he corrects us and when he tells us no. Or when we live with some consequence of our sin, we think, I have ruined everything. Some of you read and study the Sermon on the Mount with a cloud of guilt hovering over you. This cloud is there because you feel like I'm a bad Christian because my life doesn't look like these Beatitudes. I'm a bad Christian because my life doesn't look like the Sermon on the Mount. When believers don't know who they are in Jesus, then you're going to always live with guilt. You will. That's another amen statement. If you don't know who you are in Jesus, you're going to live with guilt all days of your life as a Christian. Because you're going to live trying to earn what you've already been given freely. That's the point. 
Are you going to believe what Jesus has done for you is true, or are you going to continue to try to work for it? Which one are you going to choose? He don't need any help on the cross. You don't have to climb on the cross with him. Jeez. He's done it. And besides, you won't resurrect like he did. Come on now. You really want to die that way? You ain't coming back. When believers study the Bible without knowing who they are in Christ, guilt will always follow them. Always follow them. Because you know you can't measure up to none of it. That's why you read it through the lenses of the gospel. You read it through the lenses of who you are in Jesus. When you don't know who you are in Jesus, you will always misinterpret God's correction and discipline in your life. You know what you would see? You would see this punishment or him disowning you when that is not the case. When parents, when good parents discipline their kids, that's not them disowning them. That's them loving them. They don't feel like love. Of course, they don't feel like love because discipline hurts. Yes, daddy, give me more. Yes, daddy, give me one more spanking because I feel the love, daddy. No, come on. If your kids don't feel that way towards you, you're not going to feel that way towards God when he disciplines you. It's only natural. But it doesn't mean he has disowned you. Why do you think Christians can flourish the way Jesus' way in this fallen world? What's the reason that, that flourishing can takes place in these three verses? And think about those two questions because the answer is important because you know, the flourishing doesn't come because of the virtues in this verse, verses. Because we think I can flourish because I'm poor in spirit. I'm flourishing because I'm meek. I flourish because I'm humble. No. That's not the reason you flourish. The flourishing doesn't come because you're merciful and, and you're poor in spirit and you know, you're a peacemaker. Flourishing doesn't come because you've been, you've been persecuted and suffering for Jesus. The flourishing happens because of what the second half of each verse states. The flourishing, Christians flourish in this life because theirs are the kingdom of heaven. Think about that. You flourish as a Christian in this life because the kingdom is already yours. We flourish because we shall be comforted. We shall inherit the earth. We shall be satisfied. But do you believe it? Do you know who you are? Then show it. We flourish because we shall see God. We flourish because we're already God's sons and daughters in this life. Do you believe it? First John 3, 1 says, we, do you see what kind of love the Father has lavished upon us? That we shall be called children of God and that's who we are? Do you know who you are, saints? Then show it. Union with Christ. Is the reason believers can flourish in this life despite their circumstances, despite what they go through, despite the ups and downs. Union with Christ is the reason the second half of these verses are true in your life. Who you are and what you are is all wrapped up in who Jesus is for you. Union with Christ means that Jesus is truly in you and you are truly in him. Everything you need is wrapped up in who Jesus is for you. So that means you gotta, you gotta keep hold of his hand as you live this life. What has Jesus done for you? He died for you. 
He resurrected for you. And through him, you have been made right with God. You have peace with God. You are adopted into God's kingdom. You live by grace. You are forgiven. You will be sanctified. All these things are given to you because of what Jesus has done for you. But you got to believe that, saints. You got to believe that. We flourish in this life because we are in union with Jesus Christ. And that is real. A real union with him. His victory is our victory. Know that. His victory is our victory. And we don't navigate this life as orphans. We navigate it as sons and daughters of the king. How do you think God sees you? When you struggle with sin, how does God see you? Because typically in the Christian church... No, we have a good habit of saying, I'm just a nasty, filthy sinner. Is that how God sees you as a son and daughter? Now, you struggle with sin, but is that how God sees you when he sees you? No, he sees you as someone covered in the blood of his son. He said, that's my son who struggles with sin. That's my daughter who struggles with sin. But they ain't filthy no more because the blood has made them clean. You got to tell yourself that. Because it's easy for you to start saying those things about yourself. You struggle with it, but that's not who you are anymore. Your name has changed, saints. Your destiny has changed. You belong to him. You are his possession. And when he sees you, it's son and daughter. That's what he sees. And that's who you are. But is that who you show the world? Is that who you show your neighbor? Is that who you show your spouse? Is that who you show your kids? Can't show it if you don't know it. Know who you are. You ain't got to be arrogant about it. You ain't got to be self-righteous about it. You can just walk in confidence. I am a child of God. I might not be what I want to be, but I ain't what I used to be either. I'm a work in progress. We all are work in progress. And we can live a life that's flourishing because of who Jesus is. And the flourishing ain't going to be the American way. It's going to be Jesus' way. And it's going to be different. And we're going to talk about that difference throughout this sermon. It's his way, not the American way. I'm going to close with what Paul says in Ephesians 1. Because this whole beginning of this chapter, this book, is all about you flourishing as a believer. I want you to listen to all these words here in Ephesians 1. Beginning in verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That's a lot of amen statements there. Even as he chose us before in him, before the foundation of the world, that we may be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, that which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us, and all wisdom and insight, making known to us by the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which is set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of, of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. 
In him we have attained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him also, when you heard the word of the gospel, truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Spirit, who is a guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. You want to flourish Jesus' way? Then you got to first have faith in Jesus. And as believers, you got to continue to rest in him. Don't trust circumstances. Trust Jesus. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for who you are and for what you have accomplished for people. That you have truly died for the sins of the world. And through you, people can have forgiveness and be made right with God. And I pray for your people here that as they go out into the world this week and navigate different circumstances, that they will navigate those circumstances knowing who they are in Christ. And you will give them confidence and a boldness and a courage to continue to persevere and press in. And I pray for all this in Christ's wonderful name. Amen. Will you please?